0: Before we start getting into the meat of this podcast, which is going from disease to disease and just telling you the truth from from the fiction, that a fiction that is basically weaved out of the fabrics of the pharmaceutical companies um, by their pimps, who we call doctors, um, and especially academic doctors who are basically given their entire livelihood by the pharmaceutical companies even if they deny it which we will get into how they can deny it anyway we're going to spend the next four talks yes that's a lot talking about the flexner report and the reason we're going to do that is because the flexner report planted the seeds to the dysfunctional medical system we have today my good friend um, and colleague alan roth uh who works in new york he and i wrote a book about how the flexner report has, in fact, poisoned American medicine, and how it took us on the wrong course, and how the only way to get back on the right course is to acknowledge what that report has done to us, and to follow a different path that was laid at the same time in which we have ignored. Um, That book is going to be published soon, and and I will talk about it when it comes out. Well, what the heck is the Flexner Report? Um, In a nutshell, and we're going to talk about the details of it in the next podcast, in a nutshell, in the early 1900s, late 1800s, American medicine was a mess. They were charlatans selling snake oils. they were patent medicine salesmen. There are people kind of doing witchcrafty stuff on you and claiming to be doctors. Anybody could buy a medical degree. There are hundreds of medical schools. Most of them, you just had to pay money and you got an MD. The um, salaries of doctors were, were very low. Um, the prestige of doctors were similarly low. And to fix all that, the American Medical Association was trying to change the landscape. American Medical Association was born in the mid-1850s or so, um, mostly um, out of the South. Um, From the beginning, it was an incredibly racist, top-down, hegemonic medical system whose primary goal was to gain full control of medical licensing and medical education. The goal of that was to limit who could become a doctor, white men primarily, um, and who could be licensed in the state and to be licensed and to become a doctor. The goal of the AMA was to say, you have to go to medical schools. We sanction and you have to go um, practice medicine like we sanction, or else we will not authorize you to be a doctor. They wanted to limit the pool of doctors so doctors can make more money and they wanted to make the field more scientific. And by scientific, it meant to follow a formula. The formula eventually evolved to mimic the formula being used in Germany, Um, the very formula that Albert Einstein declared to be the most antithetical thing to education ever. And that's why he fled Germany initially, because the formula is this. The German formula is this. You memorize a bunch of facts and you regurgitate them. There are truths and there are not truths. How do you know what truths are? Your teachers will tell you the truth. It is not up to you to question the teachers. There was no questioning allowed in the German classroom. You were simply supposed to learn, memorize what they tell you, and spit it back and live your life that way. That was the German education system. That became the nidus for how the AMA sought to educate doctors. Now, in the early 1900s, Um, There was a novel medical school called Johns Hopkins that um, was created um, for the purpose of turning around the medical system. And there were two visions at that time in Johns Hopkins. There was one by a doctor named William Osler. William Osler is my medical hero. You have heard me talk about him before. Um, I've quoted him. He is the wisest doctor that we've ever had in this country. And at the time, he was a celebrity. He was the primary founder of Hopkins. And he wanted to make it into an experiment of how to create better doctors and how to defeat the, the pharmaceutically driven um, witchcraft-like medical system that existed. And here's how he wanted to do it. He wanted, doc- he wanted students to come in who were well-trained um, in humanities, people who are critical thinkers, people who had a good breadth of information about the world, smart people. He wanted to bring them in and set up a four-year program. During the four-year program, from day one, they would be immersed in practical medical care. They would work with doctors in the Baltimore community um, who had been practicing medicine for decades. They would learn from patients. Osler's number one rule, as you know, is if you wanna know what's going on, ask the patient. From these immersion uh, educational systems, they would then go to the classroom and learn in a scientific verbiage about what they just saw. So they were going to mix science with reality. And so the science would fit into true reality. Osler well knew that young people are easily influenced by wanting to fix everything. And he was opposed to that. He he told young doctors do not get embroiled in pharmaceutical companies. They are evil. Do not prescribe medicines unless you are absolutely sure they're going to work. He always said that the young doctor prescribes 20 medicines for one condition and the old doctor prescribes one medicine for 20 conditions because he knew that with training and experience, you would see that medicines are not the answer. His path was to not only do four years of this type of clinical slash scientific immersion into medicine, but then follow that with three years of being an apprentice, what he called the residency. He invented the medical residency and... So from the four years of medical school where people would learn how to be doctors, learn how to think critically, learn from patients, learn how science is nuanced, that it changes with each individual, that there is not one singular approach that works for everyone, that after that you would go and practice being a doctor and then you would be a doctor. It was very important to us that doctors remain independent. that They not follow any protocols or rules that they speak with each other and learn from each other and learn constantly. They were supposed to continually learn the newer science. Osler at the time was still bleeding people, still using leeches. So, you know, he, he, was, he, wasn't, he was only as advanced as, as science could be. But he detested the German medical system. The, the idea that the teacher is the boss, that you have to memorize and regurgitate things, was antithetical to everything he wanted to achieve at Hopkins. So on the other side of the coin, another founder was a guy named Welch, Welch was a eugenicist. Eugenics was the science of the day. And and for those of you who think that science is truth, well, the science of the day um, was that certain people are inferior to other people. Those people could be determined to be inferior by standardized testing. So the eugenicists believed, for instance, that all Jews, Chinese, and Italians, that 70% of them were mentally deficient. They believed that black people were mentally deficient. They believed in racial laws. They believed in forced sterilization. Because of the eugenicists, about 100,000 Americans were sterilized. Their values, their education, their their system of testing um, became used as the template for Nazism in Germany. Hitler said, we're doing what the Americans did. These were the Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Doctors of the time. And Welch was one of them. He was a pathologist at Hopkins. He could care less about patients. He believed that talking to patients was actually a bad thing because if you talk to patients, you don't get objective knowledge. You just get what the patient tells you, and thus you're not getting the truth. Eugenicists and Welch um, believed in what one eugenicist said, which is that the human body is as measurable as a piece of steel. You just have to come up with a lot of tests do those tests, fix the problems, and you fix the person. Don't talk to the person, don't worry about symptoms, none of that's important, it's all about measuring and fixing. He hated Osler, he wanted to get rid of Osler. He was part of the American Medical Association, so he also believed in a centralized, um, authoritative control of all doctors. So, when Osler got out of the picture, he retired, he went to England, Welch leaped at the opportunity. Working with the American Medical Association, he and the American Medical Association did a survey of all the medical schools and came up with the criteria of what constituted a good medical school. He then worked with industry, primarily the Carnegie and Rockefeller Foundations to get them on board and what they wanted in a good medical school. What they wanted in a good medical school was research. They wanted the medical schools to do the research they wanted to so they could sell things. and then he wanted academia to follow suit. The basic goal of the Welch AMA system was threefold. Number one, there would be a marriage between academic medicine and industry. Industry would finance academic medicine. Industry would direct academic medicine to which way it would go and do research. Number two, there'd be centralized control of both medical education, and how physicians acted. That control would be done by the American Medical Association through licensing boards and through medical education boards. Everyone in the country would be taught exactly the same way. And that way would be the German system. They would spend two years in the classroom followed by two years on the wards. There would be no merging of the two. They would learn the science, learn how to measure and fix things, and then apply that to people. The teachers were not going to be doctors in the community like Osler believed, but were going to be full-time faculty who didn't necessarily see patients, but who did research. Like Welch, pathologist. He believed that pathologists and and, other people who did basic science research were much more capable of teaching medical students than people like Osler who practiced medicine and thus was, was colored by the subjective view of patients. So that was the second one. The third one was that everything was going to be standardized in how people thought. The ethos of medicine moving forward was going to be that you measure things and fix things. There were going to be protocols. There was going to be a multiple choice way of determining which doctors know what and which patients have what conditions. There's a right answer and a wrong answer. None of that subtlety that Osler talked about. Osler always said, If you don't like uncertainty, then don't go into medicine. Well, to Welch, there was no uncertainty. There was right and wrong. And doctors from henceforth were going to be taught the right and the wrong. So again, the three things, the marriage of industry and academia, the central control of doctors through the AMA, and the idea that medicine should be practiced through the German system of memorizing truths and regurgitating them. That all was Welch's dream. Welch and the AMA then hired a guy named Abraham Flexner, a nothing, a zero, but his brother, who is a more famous Flexner, worked at Hopkins with Welch, and Flexner was the the guy who was going to come up with the report that changed all of medicine, which still bears his name. He worked for the Carnegie Foundation. He ultimately moved to the Rockefeller Foundation. He was embedded in industry. And his report was that he was going to go to every medical school and declared which ones were going to be able to survive and which ones were not. The ones that survived were the ones that followed the Welch model of the two years of academics, two years of clinical, um, and having full-time faculty. Now, most medical schools couldn't afford to do that. They couldn't afford to hire full-time faculty, and medical students couldn't pay to go. So what they needed was money from the Rockefeller and Carnegie Institute. So for the me- for the medical schools who passed Mustard, they were able to get funding from Rockefeller and Carnegie, but they had to follow the script. If they diverged from the script, they were not allowed to be medical schools. When the Flexin Report came out in 1911, that it declared we we're going to change medicine. The AMA is now in charge of medical education and licensing. All medical schools must follow the script. We're going to be a measure and fix um, set of doctors following the German system, which at that time was very popular and considered the most academic, and any school that doesn't follow this will disappear. And most schools disappeared. It, as we're going to learn later, it, it was in the Flexner Report that, for instance, schools that trained African-American physicians were all going to either disappear or were going to be transferred into training people, not not doctors, but training Black physicians to prevent disease from going from blacks to whites. Because, again, the AMA was inherently a southern racist institution, and everything about the Flexner Report was racist, white male, hegemonic, top-down. That's the Flexner Report in a nutshell. What was shocking was, not so shocking, was that because industry was so involved in it, it was able to muster the press to say, this is a breakthrough, we finally are getting out of the dark ages of medicine. And within two or three years, the Flexner Report became the template of what American medicine is. The Flexner Report is still with us today. Medical schools still follow the same program that was designed by Welch and Flexner and the eugenicists back then. The the AMA is not necessarily the governing body anymore, but we still are centrally controlled as doctors. We're supposed to follow protocols. There's a right and a wrong answer. There's no nuance. Um, And those protocols, as we've talked about and we'll talk about more, favor giving more and more medicines, give more and more tests, finding and fixing problems that may or may not be clinically relevant. Osler was buried. Osler tried to fight back from England. He f- tried to fight back. Other doctors like Peabody at Harvard tried viciously to fight back, but they were buried by this because ultimately industry wins because industry was financing this whole big For instance, as we'll see, Carnegie didn't want to finance black medical schools who weren't doing the kind of research that he was doing. Um, so that's where we are, and we're gonna go into the specifics of the Flexin Report in the next talk. And then we'll talk about, um, in two talks, the ramifications of the Flexion Report in terms of race and then in terms of what I call the biopower that has been created in its wake. So this is just part one.